All right, we're back to the PA Policy Podcast, joined here with uh, Neil Lesher. And, you know, this was the first week we were back in session since uh, the end of the budget. And uh, I think that this week was a shining example of sort of what Republicans have been talking about in terms of getting things done for the people of Pennsylvania. Yeah, I agree with that. One of the important things that was passed this week was an extension of the disaster declaration for Hurricane Ida that was passed in both the House and the Senate. And it's on it's uh, I think on the governor's desk right now waiting signature. Um, And, you know, we we showed that uh, with the new powers that the people of Pennsylvania gave to the legislature around disaster declarations that we can respond quickly. Yeah, I remember when all of that stuff was going on. My gosh, earlier this year with the the, the issue going on the ballot, um, the Wolf administration would be like was like, my God. What would happen if we were to have a real emergency, like a, a, a real emergency, like a flood or an ice storm? What would the legislature do? Uh, well, it turns out that we come back into session early and actually extend it yeah, when yeah. Uh, that stuff is happening. So we would work on behalf of the people of Pennsylvania. Yeah, look what we did, guys. Uh, you know, your worst fears, the ones you were out there trying to scare people uh, into not voting for this thing. We actually came back and I believe it was unanimously yep. extended that and it went right over to the Senate and they did the same thing. And you know, guess what? The governor didn't even need to be involved in that because it's a joint resolution. Doesn't even need to sign it. It was a good thing this week in terms of that emergency disaster declaration. And because one, our members saw and heard from other members that this was an emergency. The after effects and the recovery was still continuing. And there were real things that were needed as a result of having the emergency declaration in place. And I thought it was interesting, too, that, you know, people said that our members are just against the governor having these powers and, you know, all this stuff. No, it's how they're used. And, and you know, this emergency declaration is actually being used to help people recover. Right. And it's open and transparent, right? If the governor needs additional powers, if the governor needs additional resources, he needs to explain that to the people of Pennsylvania, to the legislature, and get an actual vote. And and certainly, I think that was that was done in this case. And, you know, this is, of course, a, a full government response. The federal government is certainly involved in the recovery of the after effects of Ida down in the southeastern part of the state. And, uh, you know, this is how government is supposed to work for the people. Um, I, I think another interesting area where we came together this week on those issues was opioids. Yes. And that, that fits into the disaster declaration uh, theme as well. You know, for several years, the governor had a disaster declaration around opioids uh, and, and can just continue to extend that every, uh, is it 90 days? Um, yeah, 90 days. And uh, now with that having expired, he actually had to come to the legislature with legislative proposals. The first one he gave us was expanding the prescription drug monitoring program to additional state agencies. I think it, it uh, he wanted th- both the Department of Insurance and the Department of Labor and Industry, which runs the statewide workers' compensation program, to have access to that. We did that this week, the first week we were back. Yeah, and when the governor wrote us about the uh, expiration of the opioid disaster declaration back in early August, he was like, well... All of this stuff is basically taken care of through the federal government, through waivers that they have, through state law that's been in place as a result of your work. But I'd really like you to extend this because of the ability to share information for the prescription drug monitoring program. And we were kind of like, well, you know, if it's just that one thing, we could probably take care of that for you, you know, through legislation. Right. And, you know, you should be working with us through the normal course of lawmaking, which is 
you know, you tell us this is needed. We decide we decide whether it's needed or not. You have the ability to sell the legislature on your idea. We can introduce a bill uh, uh, to take care of that. We did that. And again, I think it was either unanimous or fairly unanimous uh, in terms of getting that information sharing done because, you know, one, it was the one thing that was still outstanding. The General Assembly, Republicans especially, and I know um, Leader Benninghoff being a former coroner is especially interested in the opioid uh, addiction-related overdose deaths and making sure that they stop. But we want to stop the opioid addiction problem here in Pennsylvania, just like everybody else. Um, But the broad scope of authority that goes with a disaster declaration, now keep in mind the way that the disaster declaration is written is much like other disaster declarations. So it gives broad scope of authority to waive regulations, to engage in purchasing, to uh, have unilateral authority over Pennsylvanians. That stuff is not needed when you write to us and say, there's only one thing that's still left. That's really something over the last three years you should have been working with us to update us, to work with the General Assembly to get done. And, and we did that this week, and it was fairly simple. Well, and we, we actually needed to revisit the prescription drug monitoring program. Uh, it was currently in law set to expire at the end of 2022. Uh, so as part of that legislation, we extended that through 2028. You know, and I just for those that don't know, the prescription drug monitoring program is essentially a database uh, of prescriptions that are written around opioids to um, – help identify abuse so that we can get those people the help that they need. Yeah, and actually this was, uh, you know, the, the Republicans in the House and the Senate have been and, and were huge leaders on this before the disaster declaration for the opioid thing. And really what the disaster declaration did was cut uh, the General Assembly out of this issue in which we were actually very uh, responsive to and were the leaders on. And it just took it all into the governor. And, you know, this was an idea that we came up with, which was uh, very, um, you know, well received and actually did have a lot of uh, long term help for people because it did give uh, folks, uh, you know, that information component of it to where, you know, you can get a 10 day prescription in the ER, but you need to go be seen. Mm-hmm. And then people could follow that to see who has uh, an opioid prescription. Uh, problem. Now, we know people then also do go to the streets, but, you know, that's, again, is part of a comprehensive solution, which, you know, I know we're going to devote significant time to this fall. Um, but I, I guess all of that is to say we have a larger part in this now, and it's something we're eager to sink our teeth into. Uh, and we are going to be looking at this from a holistic standpoint, not just from an emergency standpoint. We're going to be looking at workforce issues in treatment centers. We're going to be looking at ways in which we can use a full scope of government to, uh, again, have these comprehensive solutions. Because since the governor's disaster declaration a few years ago, uh, things have changed on the ground. Uh, While the opioid deaths have gone up, uh, we also know that there's different ways in which we can look at treatment and um, getting people from, you know, just medically assisted treatment to actually recovery uh, and have a long-term solution. You know, the other thing, too, is that we are in a different landscape uh, in terms of where this fight needs to take place. The drugs people are using are different. Uh, The drugs are much cheaper. You know, and I think a lot of that has to do with some of our folks in Washington that have an open border in which heroin and fentanyl uh, and all these other dangerous drugs are, are leaking over the southern border like, you know, a sieve, you know, it'd be interesting if there was uh, some sort of device we could put up along that border. Uh, that like was, a wall, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. That, that would, you know, keep, you <laughs> know, know, some sort call, of a barrier. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Keep people out, keep the drugs out. But yeah, this it's the, the Biden immigration policies, the open border policies that are adding to low opioid costs on the street uh, and, and easy gateway to, to, to heroin. Yeah, and lax enforcement by some of these uh, local district attorneys who are just turning the other way and allowing, you know, open drug use in the public uh, and almost encouraging it. 
looking at you, Larry Krasner. Um, so, Wait, Larry Krasner's here? No. <laughs> not, not physically here, but he's, he's, I'm sure, listening. And so, yeah, you know, when the governor put out his uh, request that we extend his disaster declaration, the only real tangible piece was this expansion of the prescription drug monitoring program. Outside of that, there was some flowery language in there about how his disaster declaration allowed state agencies to talk to one another. I, I guess maybe I'll give the governor a call and show him how to just set up an Outlook invite and, you know, you can have a meeting. Uh, you don't need a disaster declaration for yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, if you want a law to have people talk to each other, I guess we can help you out with that one. Y- you need a law to have <laughs> state workers talk to one another. Oh, boy. Um, you know, I think uh, outside of that, one of the bigger things, too, outside of sort of the more uh, legislative stuff was the stuff going on with uh, state-level redistricting. A few weeks ago, there was a uh, proposal adopted on a so-called coup. yeah prisoner reallocation. Um, now the Democrats like to call that prison gerrymandering. I think because they like to admit the fact that they're actually gerrymandering districts by having lawmakers literally choose their constituents, right? Um, rather than have constituents choose their lawmakers, but uh, or have lawmakers choose their voters rather than have voters choose their lawmakers. But um, that being the case, uh, Senate Majority Leader Ward did have a proposal that would bring a little bit more common sense to uh, a nonsensical proposal that uh, really broke with history, the scope of the authority and of the legislative reapportionment commission, and frankly, equal protection and the equal treatment of, of people being where they're counted by making sure that those who have sentences that are longer than 10 years, uh, other that would not expire until 2030, which is when the next census would be, would be counted in the prison in which they reside. So this is, this is a still a very uh, bad proposal. It's something which we solve legal questions on, but that proposal that was adopted by a 3-2 vote again this week uh, was will bring some guardrails to that. Right. So e- even though we would prefer uh, that that original proposal of moving where prisoners are counted to be inconsistent with the way the census is actually conducted, um, you know, I, it, it seems as though uh, Senator Ward at least brought some logic to their flawed proposal and made it a little bit less worse. Is that fair? Yeah, it's less bad. I don't think it's still something that sits well with us, and we certainly have concerns. I know the leader, Benninghoff, who sits on the Legislative Reapportionment Commission, put out a statement basically that even with this proposal, it's still not an appropriate thing for that the commission should have taken up, and there are still questions and concerns that we have about the underlying proposal. And actually, I think going forward uh, next week, um, the House State Government Committee, chaired by Seth Grove, will be taking up the legislative proposal on prisoner reallocation. Oh, good. Yeah, and, and it's it, it's an equal protection concern, right? Because you have similar people who are being treated differently in the in the count, right? right. County prisons are not included. It's only, or county jails are not included. It's only state prisons. Right, federal federal jails, are, j- yeah. jails or, or prisons are not included. Other residential facilities uh, like mental health facilities or uh, intellectual disabilities facilities, colleges, colleges, none of those are included. Can't it's, forget the universities either. It's just prisoners and universities. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a little higher ed humor, uh, So, which actually means we probably need to be done for the week. Um, all right. Well, that's been another PA Policy Podcast. Uh, you can find this podcast where all podcasts are found at pahousegop.com slash mypodcasts. Uh, until next time, I'm Jason Gottesman. And I'm Neil Lesher. We're out. <laughs>